usually it's fishing really good in May. You'll get the caddis, then you'll get the salmon flies, then golden stones, and then you'll get the drakes. The drakes are my favorite hatch, green drakes and gray drakes. Listen to your guide, what he's saying. <laughs> what? Nobody does that anymore. Come on. Make sure you mend. Make sure you mend. So I started out just fishing like everyone else, worms, bobbers, going for catfish and bass. Kind of started out going to my uncle's farms, ponds, all that stuff. And then it kind of got a little more serious once I got into middle school. Started going with my brother out to um, creeks and areas around Nashville, close to where we lived. And then in seventh grade, that's when I went and learned how to fly fish. We took a summer trip, school-sanctioned camping trip up to Elkmont Campground in the Smokies. And the guy that really got me into it was Mr. Abood. That was our teacher, seventh grade Bible teacher. Yeah, it took us up there to Smokies and that's really where it took off fly fishing wise so you're starting that transfer over there in the seventh grade then yes yes and that uh that really got us going i still did a little bit of spin fishing after that as we all did yeah and i'd bring <laughs> you know I'd, I'd bring the fly rod and bring the other stuff because i wasn't super comfortable just going fly fishing at first and i knew i could catch stuff with a spin rod and then i like if the fishing was good, I'd pull out the fly rod and throw a popper or something for a bass. Um, you kind of kind of get into that thing where I'm going to make sure there's fish there before I yeah. pull the fly rod out. But really what you're doing, I think, or what I was doing, I did the same, but I was a little older in life than you were, a little more up in age, was that I wanted to make sure there were fish there, but I wanted to make darn sure that I caught one. Yep. So I could, so I didn't have to go back and say, yeah, I got skunked. Yeah. You know, I could at least go back and say if somebody asked, and somebody always asks how you did. Whoever you tell you're going fishing, they always circle back around and say, how'd you do? You know, and I wanted to be able to say, yeah, I caught a fish or I caught fish. Yeah, or where's the picture or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, I mean, from there, we, me and, me and my brother started going around Nashville, started getting the fly rods out more. Then we met this guy, Hunter Prophet. He used, used to work at Game Fair. Which yeah, I know Hunter. Fly shop. Um, hunting shop uh, they're no longer a business and he's not a guy anymore but he was very good at helping me and will get starting to learn the trout type of fly fishing and yeah he was he was i, I credit him a lot to getting us really going you said will is that who's that uh that's my brother my brother. brother okay that's all right are y'all about y'all are about the same age i guess or we, we're years? close he is 26 and i am 24 Okay, so two years, a couple years. Yeah, two two sisters as well, but they're they're not into fishing. Well, <laughs> unfortunate for them. It is. So Mr. Abood helped you out after you started fishing on ponds, then Mr. Abood took you. Now, so Elkmont and Smokies, what a interesting place that is. That is. there are all those cabins up there. The the stream is high gradient. It's just it's an awesome place to fish. Yeah. A little story I, I was interviewing uh, and if you've been following the podcast, you you heard a couple of times that David Knapp was on with mm -hmm. me. And yeah. we went up there, and I can't remember the name of the hole, but it's right there in the bend. It's the high right by the road, and there's all the rocks that are built up, and the bend yeah. in the river comes out. It's right yeah. before you get into actual Elkmont, okay. uh, into that part. And I had it was the middle of winter. I saw David up there 
when nobody else was around. Matter of fact, he was standing by my truck when I got back. And I was like, who the heck is this guy? Because yeah. there's like three inches of snow on the ground. It's snowing like crazy. Yeah. I'd be, like, be darned, there's David. Hey, so we, <laughs> we decided we were going to go fish, you know, since yeah. nobody else was up there fishing because yeah. everybody else was smart. Yep. <laughs> so we go up there and, and I, I said, I want to fish that, that deep pool right there in that, that bend. And he said, okay. So I, I climbed down there. I mean, it's hard to get over to that pool. I think you probably know where I'm talking about. Yeah. It's right in yeah. the bend there. Yep. And I crawl, I go over there and I've got a streamer on, you know, and I get over and I just get into place, just get to where I want to be, where I could hit that whole pool the first time and up drives this van and this little kid, they pull over. David's sitting in the, in that little pull off. They pull off yeah. right in front of him where he's standing. Yeah. Kid jumps out of the van. It's snow. There's snow on the ground. It's fresh snow. He yeah. packs a snowball and throws it right in the pool. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I work. It probably took me, honestly, Eric, it took me probably 15 minutes to get there. Yeah. To get in position. <laughs> yeah. So he picks up another one. And I hear him say something, and the kid just put the snowball down. Then they got in the van and left. Well, I fished it for a little bit because I went to all that work. Yeah. I come back over there. I said, man, that kid, he just kind of ruined it. And I said, what did you, what, were you having a conversation? He said, yeah, after he threw the first one, he picked the second one up and started packing it like he was going to throw it. And I just told him, I said, probably should not have do that. <laughs> <laughs> probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> so that's my Elkmont story. And I mean, I, all, all the cabins up there are really cool. Um, yeah. You know, all the old stuff that's still up there, I guess. And they're rebuilding some things. Yeah, all the old forest cabins and stuff. Yeah, people used to own up in the park before the, the yeah. service took it over. And I guess probably there's something. It's a little spooky now. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, welcome into Southeastern Fly. Thanks for stopping by. Hey, if you like our content, please share this episode with your with your friends. We appreciate any of your five-star ratings and any positive comments that you have. We have a, right now we've got a contest going on. Uh, we have some prizes to be announced. We're starting to get those together from the different companies that we we uh, do business with. Uh, we have an independent panel of judges who are going to go through all of the best slash wittiest. We don't want some, we think your podcast is great or we think you're, you know, it's terrible or whatever. We want to, we want you to really think through Give us, give us the best, wittiest review you have. And if you put it on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, iHeart, any of the podcatchers out there, if you write one, just, just drop us a text, send us an email, and let us know that it's out there. And we'll have that panel review it, whoever they choose as to be the best review. We're going to give them a, a, I like to call it a bucket full of swag. Don't be shy because you might, you just might win. Contest ends on Christmas Day, so there's plenty of time to think about it. And there's a couple more episodes coming up this year. But we're going to announce the winner on uh, the Season 3, Episode 1 podcast. Again, if you've uh, you got some wit in you and you want to write a review, we appreciate any five-star ratings and we appreciate any positive reviews. So let's get down to business here. Let's introduce the guy that's been talking. and uh, He's a local Tennessee boy studying history at Auburn University. We've known each other for several, several, several years. We've fished together several times. We fished prior to you getting your starting diving, actually. He works on the rivers in and around Jackson and Victor, Idaho. Super fishy guy. Please welcome. Welcome, Eric Azell to the show. Eric, thanks for showing up, man. Thank you for having me, dude. Eric, we're doing, we usually try uh, to get out and do these podcasts in person. We had one, this one scheduled for a couple days from now. Yeah. Uh, and I just got in off the river and, and got everything set up here today versus a couple of days from now. You want to tell them why we're doing it over Zoom? Yeah. So I, uh, I got the infamous Rona. Um, I <laughs> test, test, tested positive and 
Feeling fine, but, you know, keeping myself away from other people and isolating. Can't taste or smell anything, which is a bummer. But That is a bummer. That's pretty much uh, the extent of my symptoms. But. So if, if you had a big, fat, juicy steak right now, you couldn't taste it? No. Oh, my gosh. No. My, my girlfriend's getting me to eat more healthy food right now, which is good. That's good. We can't tell the difference, can yeah, yeah, I had a whole banana for the first time in my life the other day. <laughs> You say, oh, this cardboard's pretty good, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for doing this. I know that you, you you told me you were feeling okay, and we appreciate you still yeah. coming by and doing it. And Mr. Abood actually introduced you to fly fishing uh, in the streams of the Smokies. And we talked just a second about Elkmont, but it wasn't just really just you that he was teaching, was it? It was Will, your brother. Yeah. Will came along as well. So, yeah, my, uh, my brother, um, he's easily the most influential person on me and i think as well me with him yeah we just we both got in at the same exact time um i would say he got a little more into fly fishing before me so he kind of dropped the spin gear before i did where i would keep bringing it and i don't know it just took off from there like we we started pushing each other. We started reading a lot more articles and started kind of figuring out the creeks, particularly the bass fishing around Nashville, going to the Har- the Harpeth, South Harpeth, Little Harpeth. There are a lot of people that like to fish the South Harpeth and the Harpeth. As a matter of fact, I mm-hmm. fished with a guy just uh, just the other day that that is he was really quizzing me on the Harpeth. So I was like, dude, you know, I don't I don't get up there. All my most of my stuff is is on the tailwaters for trout. A little yeah. bit of smallmouth that we're getting more into now because of the, the traffic and then the Canyon's not fishing all that great right now. I mean, it, it, it always comes back, but yeah. right now it's just not fishing particularly well. Yeah. And the bass stuff that we do, we've got some private bass water that we go to, but I just haven't ventured up to the to the Harpeth very much. The folks that I talk to that do go up there, they're they're really complimentary of it. Of course, you got hit at the right time. Yeah, you know, that's that's a thing. Tell us about the Harpeth just a minute. I want to talk about it. Describe the river for me, because I think that people listening out there can relate to that and maybe even possibly put it with another uh, stream or river that they fish locally. It can be, like you said, hit or miss. When we started out, I mean, I was probably right freshman year of high school. That's when we really started going on the Harpeth. And I think back then it had less pressure. And we would always try and go the furthest away from Nashville as we could because that is where the most clean water is. Right. We would fish it, I can't remember the name of the bridge, but over by Innsworth High School. Um, we used to go there a lot. We started out catching smallmouth, I mean, right at the bridge. Um, <laughs> and then like a couple years after that, they just, they were gone. But we did end up finding carp in there. So we started doing some carp fishing. So that was a lot of fun. But yeah, the further away you get from main cities like Nashville, the better the fishing is. Just the problem is trying to find public access. Right. That's the only problem. That's, you know, that's one thing around, I want to say around the South, but I've seen it. I've seen it in the South. I've seen it up North in Michigan, definitely in Colorado is you want to make sure that you know where you are yeah. and you know who you have permission from unless yeah. you're on a completely public stretch of water. Yep. And I believe Tennessee is, is high watermark last time. I used to have the, the law printed out and laminated in my fishing bag in case there was a landowner that came down. We had to use it one time. There was this really mean lady that kept yelling at us. I'm like, she was like, I'm going to call the cops. I'm like, all right. Call them like I got the law right here. 
Uh, it ended up being fine, but yeah, just, I mean, it's, it's a really cool river. Cause I mean, you'll, and you'll catch sunfish, bluegill, all that stuff. Well, mix stuff and also gar. Um, oh. if you're going to fish it always carry like a little tethered rope fly yes cut the hook off you know the gar fishing yeah just get them in close they'll bite it let them chew on it for a second and then when they turn then you can set and you can sometimes catch two fish per fly but they usually get torn up pretty pretty quick very cheap to, to make though very easy I've got a bunch of nylon rope in the back of my truck. I can't remember why it's in there, but a friend of mine was asking me the other day if I'd ever done tied those. And I said, yeah, I have, but I, I mean, I've yeah. really, I've had more luck on just a streamer with them. Than yeah. Anything. And I caught one on a nymph the other day, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Was, yeah. And he ate, yeah. I mean, he actually yeah. ate. Yeah. He wanted it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was hungry yeah. for some reason. Yeah, I so. remember the first one we caught, we actually got my brother cut up part of his shirt, tethered it, <laughs> got it onto a hook and, caught a guard that way there you go doesn't have to be fancy <laughs> no no they're not they're not fancy eaters are they no. <laughs> <laughs> so what types of water are, are there around that you like to fish what's the water like around nashville yeah so when i'm going for smallmouth, i like to look for either deep slow water and fish a heavy barbelled eye, like looking like a crayfish, crawl down, whatever you want right. to call it. And you'll find some big fish in there. And you can actually catch largemouth and spotted bass, Kentucky bass. And then I like to swing streamers, little flashy stuff, clousers, all your base woolly buggers work great too. And swing those across riffles. Right. And th that works great because I've always heard one of the Tennessee nicknames for a uh, smallmouth is a green trout. So they kind of kind of sit in some <laughs> trout, some trout water. Yeah, um, they do, don't they? <laughs> which is really cool. <laughs> oh, that is so true. And they and they fight real hard, which is what we're looking for when we're fishing. <laughs> you know, that's interesting because I, I we have been doing more more smallie fishing here over the past month or so and finding some pretty good spots and i'm really working on spots to take folks during the summer early summer late summer yep and uh and the smallmouth are just you can tell when you have one on yeah you no know, it's just yeah. totally different uh, you're going to catch some brim or bluegill whatever you want to call them you, yeah. they're going to turn on their side and they're going to yeah. fight you that way and they're going to feel huge but a, but a, a smallmouth has that it just has that extra little bit of horsepower that makes you know, okay, I know what this is. You know, a largemouth yeah. might fight for a minute and jump and all that. If yeah. a smallmouth jumped, like a largemouth yeah. jumps, it'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. So fishing around, you and Will got in and started fishing that the, the water around here. And then you went to ETSU for a while. I remember you telling me about that. I, I did. I, uh, I went to ETSU for a semester. So I was coming out of high school and I decided to go to ETSU. Uh, my brother actually transferred from Auburn to ETSU. And the reason was the lack of trout fishing in Auburn. It's kind of funny how I've ended up at Auburn and, and you know, it's fine, but there is no trout fishing down here. Um, but yeah, so we, we started, we, and we both had uh, my drift boat there during that time. We kept it in a storage unit actually. Is that the blue one? Blue hide. Yep. Yeah. Blue pro. So yeah, we started going and um, we started going to the Watauga first because we had heard, we weren't great rowers at that time. So we kind of heard like the South Holston can be a little bit technical when you're rowing it. And so we started doing the Watauga and it, we struggled a little bit to start out, but we kind of figured out we, we downsized on our tippet. We were throwing like 4X. We should have been throwing five or six. Right. Kind of figured that out. We downsized on our midges. 
went from an 18 to a 20, 22. I actually have some 28s that I've used there before. And then, yeah, and then we got lucky. We hit it about two weeks in the fall. I guess it was October. Right when it started getting to cool off, no. and we started hitting the uh, the PWO hatch. Right, and that, that was awesome. And that that in the Watauga, it was very good to kind of learn where fish are going to hold because it it's more like a western stream or river. It's it's not particularly like the the elk or the caney in middle tennessee it's got more runs more yep. buckets riffles all that stuff so it was really cool to kind of learn where fish are going to hold what they're going to eat what time of day they're going to be in that spot and yeah it just and then we started going to south holston we started wade fishing too on um, like some of the favorite spots that we found found ended up finding a lot of good fish and we started we made some friends and that's we got some tips and stuff but just putting time on the water and kind of figuring out a particular section um, was really good. We'd go to like a section for a week straight, try and learn that part. And I mean, we could still learn it even more because it's always changing. I would say putting your time in on the water is is great. That, if, if you go a week straight, you see the changes day to day too, which are usually subtle. Unless there's a huge rain event and knocks you off the river for a while, the, the bottom doesn't change all that much, if any. But you can kind of get into a rhythm of the different times that the bows are going to be ready and the, the fish are going to be looking. And, yeah. and then if you can do it for a whole semester, that's awesome. You know, oh, yeah. or, or most of the semester anyway. Yeah. So how did your grades look at the end of that semester? Were you able to balance it? So we, we well, we... Uh, we ended up doing same schedules. We didn't have the same classes, but I had all my classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I have an 8 a.m. and then I'd be done at 3. Same with him. And I had all my cl- all five classes during Tuesday, Thursday. And he did also. So fishing was going Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we'd go wade fish after our classes on Tuesday and Thursday. And the weekends are free, but I didn't have a particularly great semester. Uh, I'd probably say C plus, B minus average my freshman year. So the classes weren't too hard, but yeah. definitely could have given them more more time. But fishing's so good there. It's it's hard to not go fishing every day. <laughs> it really is. It's interesting you said that when you were talking about rowing the South Holston is technical. Yeah. The Watauga's technical in some spots too, depending on which which beach you're running on. It is. We uh it's the can't remember the name of the bridge. It's Hunter Bridge, I think, to Blevins. Hunter to Blevins Bend. The one above the trophy section. Yeah. Um, that little shoot that you have to run. <laughs> that, that, that one took us, we had, I remember the first time we did it, we we had a friend that told us what to do. We ended up going far left, and oh. that, that was a mistake. So we like hopped out, we walked the boat down, uh-huh. and that ended up working out. And then the next time we went went down the chute, we were fine. The chute's right, if I remember, the chute's right in the middle, right? It kind of runs parallel yeah. like Yeah, the, the shelf, yeah, the river's running straight and the shelf's kind of sideways and it's yeah. kind of going that way. And then you have to slow down and back off the wall whenever you yeah. get through it, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that whole section there. I mean, you, you got to basically walk it through through Sycamore Shoals and all that. You got that yeah. there too. That's yeah. that's a freaking boat ender right there. If you Oh yeah. I <laughs> I think my brother was rowing one day. We were we went down the right side <laughs> on that split. I don't know how, but we got turned around like when the water all comes back together. Somehow the, the front of the boat hit the island and we spun <laughs> off. We were we were fine, but <laughs> it is it is it, it can be 
technical. I would say definitely get a lot of info if you're going to go float that for the first time. Yes. Look at look at uh, look at on Google Earth. Do a lot of research. You can definitely sink a boat in there. Yeah, you can absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you were you were fortunate. You had your brother there. Mm-hmm. It's always good to have somebody that's right along. Yeah. Kind of yeah. maybe they're just a few months ahead of you as far as yeah as far as um, uh, experience goes. You know, because yeah. they can kind of crash yeah. through some of the barriers for you and then oh, yeah. help you along. But so you had your brother. But what's the if you if you had an angler that you were fishing with, what would you tell? What would one piece of advice that you would give an angler, a new angler? Be? A new angler, um, I would say like get a partner. Get someone you can fish with a lot um, or get multiple partners. Like try and get info from not just one person. Just, you're always learning stuff. Everyone kind of fishes their own way. Um, they all have like little tactics and stuff, different knots, everything. And I still even do this today. I don't just, I try and get info from everybody. And then you kind of adapt it to what you're doing. Um, and that's what helped me a lot was not just listening to one person, read a lot of articles on what other anglers were doing, trying to pick up on their tactics. And it's, it's a really easy to go and find articles i mean orvis has a ton yeah that's just one and videos everything and don't just don't just go with fly fishing you can learn a lot from from some spin anglers too especially if you're doing bass or musky fishing interesting you say that because we had joey Mon- you know joey monleone he's a middle tennessee guy he's been around for a while been on tv been on the twra's a show on yeah. Sundays, that guy. Yeah. We had him on, a, uh, and I don't know if you listen to it or not, but it's, it's why fish do what fish do. And he, we got into, he's more of a spin fisher. He fishes gear, but he also fishes some fly. So much stuff that we talked about transferred from one to the other. You know, like where do the fish hang out? What do they do? Why are they there? All the way up to, we talked about crayfish for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and he and I had a conversation even before that that episode that was it, it i swear i think that i could have him on again and we could pick that conversation right back up yeah and people if, if you listen to the you can still listen just because they don't have the same techniques mm-hmm. fish still have the same characteristics and i think that matters that yes. you can pick up on, on colors and types and like you yeah. said you know a different knot may do a different thing for a different person it may you know yeah. different knot on a streamer will sometimes make that streamer react yeah. differently yep so, i'm always tying a loop knot on my streamers to just give it a little bit more action Yep. Because fish are going to hold in the same water. I mean, spin fishermen, fly fishermen, you're going to fish pretty much the same water. Don't just limit yourself to fly fishing stuff. I mean, my my friend Alston Gage, he's been looking at musky stuff, and a lot of the articles are, <laughs> are gear fishermen. Right. He's learned a lot from that, and that's just one instance. Yeah, it's hard to pick up a pattern from them because it's not like they're eating every 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> when they eat, they eat big, though. Yes, they do. So you, you've got to – now you're, out, you, you're leaving – I guess I, I – I kind of picked back up to where you and I kind of started talking and getting getting together and fishing a little bit. You had a pretty good base when you, whenever you came on the scene, where I got to know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a good foundation. I remember our conversations about guiding. You think you wondering, can I stay around Nashville and work this summer and have enough to keep me busy? Yeah. Uh, which I mean, it's tough. I mean, it yeah. is. You, you wouldn't stay nearly as busy here as you would have, as you do out in Victor. You started talking about that, and you just kind of got it in your mind that you wanted to guide. And I think Will was probably already out there. Yeah. Uh, or headed out that way. One of the two, I can't remember. My memory is fading a little bit because it's been three or four or five years ago. So how did you end up at it, WorldCast? So my brother and I, yeah, I guess this was before I met you. We talked about guiding. We knew we wanted to guide, weren't sure where. And my brother just started looking around on the internet and started seeing there's guide schools. And they're all they're all throughout the country. Um, there's a bunch of different guide schools. And we 
just ended up picking WorldCast Guide School. It's called Western Rivers Guide School. It's one of the oldest, I think it might be the oldest um, guide school in the country. And we were mainly just doing that to get our foot in the door for somewhere else. Right. And so you're like, say I'm going to apply for a dude ranch. I'm like, oh, hey, I've done this. And so maybe they'll hire us. But my brother ended up getting hired right after that. We finished the guide school. He came back home, got his boat, went right back out and started guiding immediately yeah. um, they just they needed someone i think they had someone quit or something and uh got hired so i stayed home kind of bummed out like and he he was further along than me at that point but that's when i met you and started fishing a lot more on the elk and everything but yeah and then the next year started applying for other outfitters and stuff and i i have one more offer but uh cg scythe the guy that hired me he uh called me up one day uh, i answered the phone he was like hey have you accepted any of those other places and i was like no he's like oh we got a spot for you so i headed out there the next year um and that's that's when i really realized the fishing is it's different out there. It's just, I had a lot to learn. Like I thought I was pretty good, you know, could row the boat around <laughs> and I got out there and those rivers will, I mean, they kicked my ass. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> rowing, the rowing is a lot more difficult than in around Tennessee um, and the fishing. I mean, I kind of just fished the way I knew how, and you know, yeah. I mean, I, we caught fish, but that was when I really needed to listen to my brother because he had already been out there, gone through the ropes, knew knew where the fish would be. Again, he was just a little bit ahead of you. He had been out there and already yes. broken through some of the barriers. Yes, and that that's what's good to have someone, you know, try and find someone that's a little ahead of you, so you can kind of piggyback off them and, and keep and keep learning more. But yeah, he really taught me, and I, I mean, I'd get frustrated. With like, you know, I know what I'm doing. But now <laughs> looking back on it, I was, I'm very grateful for that. Cause if I wouldn't have had him, it would have taken me a little bit longer to, to learn everything out there. And I'm still learning right now. There's always, always something to learn. There's always something you can, you can pick up on in there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do you remember anything where you said, yeah, I know, I know what I'm doing, but then he told you something you're like, okay, I'm going to just go try it. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was, <laughs> there was several of those instances. I remember one, the thing I was not good at was anchoring up in time to sit on the right spot on riffles. Mm. So I was anchoring up too late. too late. The anchor would slide too much and we'd be off yep. and then we'd have to row back up and, you know, scare some of the fish. And he, he yelled at me one day and I was like, all right, fine. Like I'll, I'll do it. And that, that was the moment where I was like, okay, he, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> but yeah, it's a little his, bit of brotherly rivalry. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it was the rowing, too. The rowing was a lot more difficult. Just a little um, different. Yeah. He would let me know when I was not doing something right, <laughs> which, which I appreciate now. So what about the techniques as far as the fishing goes? What do you what do you think? If you're telling a new angler that was going out there, what would be some of the things that you would tell them? Out west, I mean, it depends on what time of year you're going. So I, I've been, this was my fifth season out there um, this last summer. And I'm there from usually May till mid-August and I have to go back to school. So right when I get there in May, um, the South Fork of the Snake River, that's where I mainly fish. That river is going to be mainly bobber fishing or indicator fishing, strike right. indicator, whatever you want to call it. But right. it's a it's a bobber. It's a bobber. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a fancy bobber. Yeah. So, I, yeah, the main thing is bobber fishing out there that time because the water is still really cold because we have a lot of snow runoff. So that gets water very cold. So the fish are going to sit real low. And, I mean, we go the bobber, and then usually I go wingspan 
Okay. To my first fly. Um, it depends on the flow of the water. Usually it's pretty high by that time of year. And throw in bigger nymphs, something they're going to see. Big pheasant tails, um, stuff like that. And I usually go tandem rigs. I'll throw two at once, sometimes three. So you'll usually go a 2X leader all the way down to the first fly. Um, and I usually cut it off and put 2X on there about a foot in front of the first fly. And then I'll put a split shot right above the knot. And then, yeah, usually a big jig head nymph, tungsten bead it'll get it down and then a little bit smaller of a fly about a foot to the next one and then sometimes we'll put on a third one it, it's it's tough to keep that from tangling um, yeah, that's the understatement of the podcast it, right there yeah, <laughs> yeah three uh three flies is the idaho limit so we we max out on that a lot throw three and increase your chances a little bit but that time of year you can also get some bwos colder weather mayflies stuff like yep. that um so you could get some dry fly action the henry's fork river it's actually the north fork of the snake river but everyone calls it the henry's fork okay. um, i believe there was an old an old fort there patrick something henry boy somebody's gonna fact check us on that and they're gonna yeah, be so, all over it aren't they someone will <laughs> that that is a well-known river too that is i mean by far the best dry fly fishing river i've ever fished Oh, nice. Um, and it's it's a really cool river. It's It starts up in uh, Box Canyon's the first section. That's mainly nymphing um, to start out. They do get some dry fly fishing in there, too. Flows into what's called the ranch, um, and that's mainly dry fly fishing, too. It is closed, though, till June, I believe. It opens up in June for bird sanctuary, I believe. To oh, let the okay. birds do their thing. Yeah. Um, and then it flows into a canyon. You got some white water. You got to take a raft in there. Um, and then it goes into the lower river. And the lower river is what's really good in May and June. And it, it gets pretty crowded in there. Um, especially we get salmon fly hatches. That's the big one. <laughs> I think they ran 250 shuttles in one day on just one <laughs> section. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, sounds before, like a parking lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot, but you uh cat mothers you say caddis. That's like kind of the first big hatch on the on the lower river. Um you do get some BWO fishing. Um I got out there in March this year because of COVID. Uh, I left school early. Um yeah. so I got to see some really good BWO fishing there um in March and April. Nice. Usually it's fishing really good in May. You get the caddis, then you'll get the salmon flies, then golden stones. And then you'll get the drakes. The drakes are my favorite hatch. Green drakes and gray drakes. So are those all back to back to back? Yeah, they're all they're all within May till about mid June. Each year is a little different depending on runoff, but the green the green drakes are nice because it's not as crowded. People just I guess don't they've hit it during the salmon flies and then they're just like oh we're done. But <laughs> <laughs> that that is my that's my probably my favorite dry fly fishing river and you can nymph it sometimes you'll have people that you know they first timers can't quite get the dry flies where they need to be yeah. so you'll nymph it and you'll catch tons of fish too it's not like you have to be a spectacular cast at 40 feet drag free right into the fish's mouth you can throw an indicator out there and get it done too yeah if somebody's planning a trip out to victor so that this question could be rigged but it's not going to be okay so i like to liken it to if you're in church and somebody asks you a question, pretty good chance the, the answer is going to be Jesus. Yep. If you're going out fishing out west and somebody asks you asks a question, you know, like, what should I do? Pretty much the answer, the standard pad answer is, well, you should get a guide. Other than getting a guide, 
What's the one thing you would recommend for somebody going out, out to Victor or going out to Jackson? What, what's the one thing you would recommend or two things that you might recommend for somebody if they're planning that trip out there? I would say do a little bit of research. I mean, kind of figure out what rivers are around there. Um, and it doesn't have to just be in Victor or anything, but just kind of look at what river you'll probably be fishing, kind of see like when the best time of fishing is. I would try and book it around when the best fishing is. Depending on the river, right? Yeah, depending on the river. Okay. Um, and then there's, I mean, tons of options for wade fishing as well. Um, not particularly during during May and June because the, the water is still running off. Right. Especially July and August, really good wade fishing. Uh, and there's ton, I mean, tons of public land, tons of creeks and stuff to go and get fish. And it's really easy because they're not pressured at all. So you can get that done pretty easily. But yeah, I mean, if you want to fish the big rivers, I would say get a guide. You want to be in a boat and then listen, listen to your guide, what he's saying. <laughs> what? Nobody does that anymore. Come on. Make sure you mend. Make sure you mend. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was guiding somebody last week, and uh, I had told them, you know, men laugh, men ride, blah, blah, yep. blah, the same stuff yep. that everybody tells you. Yep. And they just kind of looked at me and I said, yeah, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Your wife's going to wonder what the heck you're talking about. Men, 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 yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've got uh, we got some guides that have a sticker in the front of their boat that says "Please mend." <laughs> I think I need one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I need to get one too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's some wise advice. Yeah. You're talking about those big rivers out there fishing and needing a boat. I mean, so you fish Victor, you fish Upper East Tennessee, you fish Middle Tennessee. We all kind of have like enough fly rods probably to stock them. A fly shop, but oh yeah, <laughs> sounds like you you and I are kind of the same as like like our boat is a tool. Yes, you know we love our boats, but really when it comes down to it, it's a tool. So how did how has a boat helped you? Because I know it's helped me, especially reading the water. Yeah, especially whenever it comes to I'm going to have to fix this thing if I run into a rock. So you yeah. know, kind of keep my eyes peeled. Yeah. You know, sometimes some stuff you just crash through, and that's just the way yeah. it is. You try not to you know beat your boat up too bad, although you couldn't look at mine and tell. Because it's got, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. got a few trips down the river. But yeah. what characteristic is the, the most that you utilize and appreciate in your boat? Yeah, I mean, I would say kind of the same as you were saying. It's I, I use it more, especially starting out. I mean, so me and my brother, we started out with a canoe with outriggers <laughs> and oarlocks. And we were using that more for transportation from spot to spot. So for example, like the Caney. Put in a dam, float down to Happy Hollow, and float through a bunch of wade fishermen, give them their space, let them fish. We went and fished, and we're going to buy them, you know, common courtesy. Uh, but we would just get to the spots we wanted to fish, you know, hop out, fish those. And I, I think that's big, you know, transitioning from just being able to wade fish, and you're limited to where you can access water, to then you can float down the river legally and hit all the spots where you could, you'd have to hop in the water, walk up or down for a mile. Then you can just float down, fish your way down, and then hop out, fish your spot real hard. And I would say that that was big for me. And that, yeah, reading water and, you know, see, seeing you, you can see fish in there too, seeing where the fish were. Um, and I, I mean, I had a kayak too. I had a small sit-on-top kayak I could throw in the back of my car. Um, just paddle up the river and come down. But yeah, and then I got my drift boat. And yeah, like you were saying, just the drift fishing out of a drift boat was way different than wave fishing. And fishing out of any boat, like kayak, canoe, yeah. anything. That was pivotal in 
learning a lot more about the water, why fish were sitting where they were sitting, what we were going to throw for them, and everything like that. As I was listening to you, I'm looking back at you know the last couple trips that we passed several spots that you couldn't get to if you weren't in a boat. Yeah, you couldn't wade over to them because they are so deep. You know, trying yeah. to get up. There's a specific wall that I'm thinking about. Uh, the water's probably. 10 foot deep yeah. up against the wall it's about three foot deep but you can't get up to the wall because you can't get on that in on that side of the river you can't come across the river because it's you know well over your head there's about 10 currents that are going through there so getting a good drift is kind of tough but the boat i just tucked it over there to the side and just kind of ran them right down the wall and we picked up some yeah. fish all of us were happy everybody can't have a boat but it does give you better access uh and it's a little more comfortable obviously yeah. uh, unless you're unless you're the one rowing and then it's still not terrible yeah. <laughs> it could be really tough on some of the some of the bigger rivers that are running a little quicker but you know yeah. you also could duck out of there a lot of times and take a break you know get in a back eddy and catch your breath and get your bearings if you really have to but yeah. the boats the, the boats are important getting in a boat if you especially i would say i don't see me waiting i guess a couple of years ago i was going to come out to victor and we ended up going somewhere else but i had already made up my mind we were going to stay right on we were staying on the victor side some little river there. Uh, Teton River, maybe? It might have been what it was. It was wide enough for a boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we were going to stay right on the river, and, and boy, it looked like prime wading water. And I thought, yeah. I probably won't even go down there. Yeah. Now, my wife tells me I'm a boat snob, and I think she's right. Although, don't <laughs> tell her I said that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's. I think you just kind of get comfortable where you are and get your bearings about you, and you know what you're going to do. So getting in a boat is, is pretty important. Yeah, and then you learn. I mean, you learn the section of river that you're fishing, you know where everything is. And then now, I mean, I'm to the point now out in Idaho, at least where I'm getting as close as I can to a dangerous spot without getting in danger. Cause there yeah. are fish, there are fish in dangerous spots. <laughs> <laughs> That's some wisdom right there. Some guide wisdom. Get real close to a rock and then skull stroke off. Of yeah. <laughs> catch fish. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. I've been in some spots where, do you remember the last time that me and you and Peter went out uh, and we were <laughs> here? Um, uh, on the Collins? Yeah, on the Collins. I don't remember uh, what the CFS was in. It was. I know it was above 1,000. Yeah, it was well above 1,000. I was thinking it was like 12,000. It was a lot. I remember it being a lot. Yeah. And, and Peter was out on the log with the chainsaw. Yeah. On the log so we can get the boat through there. Yep. I've still got that video. I watched it the other day. It's, <laughs> it's a funny one. That was awesome. That was yeah. awesome. We got through. And shortly thereafter, you caught a pretty nice fish. So we did. We did. I do remember that trip too. But yeah. But yeah, so there's some there's some danger in getting out. Yeah. There's danger in waiting. There's danger in boats. You just need to be careful, so yeah. You know? Yes. And and try to get in those spots where nobody else will get without yeah. you know yeah. drowning or falling over yeah. filling up your waders or sinking a boat so i guess out there do most of y'all's guys do most of y'all use the boats or is there some wade fishing going on as well we do wade? i i would say 90 percent of our trips are going to be in a boat but we do offer wade trips on the creeks and stuff bitch creek is a good one and then we actually have some my brother actually just got back from a four-day backpack in trip somewhere in wyoming I, I think it was the buffalo fork i believe uh -huh. right outside of jackson and they got they have wranglers with horses backpack all your stuff in and then they set up a nice little tent area camp and he goes in and guide wade fishes the whole thing nice and yeah so you yeah you wade fishing is is really good out there too you can hike up and 
fish where no one has probably ever fished. I mean, there's there's still places like that out west where nobody has probably ever casted a full eye. There, there's there's big fish in there too. I mean, you can catch you can catch a 20, 20 to twenty four inch cutthroat trout on a piece of foam or a hopper mm. that probably has never seen fly before in its life somebody's listening to this saying all right i know where i'm going yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's pretty remarkable how the different water and the ways you can fish it and it's strout heaven it really is <laughs> yeah cool so we've talked about several things here we talked about you getting started you and will going to east tennessee mm-hmm. we've talked about boats we've talked about all kinds of cool stuff so this is something i like to do and i've done it a couple of times mount rushmore four presidents on mount rushmore is washington jefferson roosevelt and lincoln those are the four presidents. So if, what is your Mount Rushmore of Eric's favorite rivers? Mm. And we'll do the whole, sometimes I'll do the, sometimes I'll do the South, but let's just, since you're, you're a Southern boy, but you spend some time out West in the summer. So yep. we're going to, we're going to let you just pick the four that you like. Four rivers okay. that make up your Mount Rushmore of rivers. Okay. Um. So I'll, I'll reserve two rivers for, for Tennessee. Cause you know, that's where I began. That's where I had my roots. Um, I would say the first one, Tennessee, uh, the Watauga. I, I love that river. That's kind of where I started. To, that's where I learned how to row pretty good. That's a special place in my heart, and I, I still go back there. I was actually fishing there in the South Holston uh, over Christmas break last March. Um, <laughs> so I try to get back up there as much as I can. Talk about rowing the, rowing the, the Watauga. Never underestimate the opportunity to hit a rock up there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, do you want to hit the medium sized rock or the large rock? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I would say number two, Collins river. Uh, We just talked about that a little bit. That's musky river. Definitely need a boat for that one. Yeah. That was just, that's where I've caught my first musky ever. And I, I still go there a lot. Once I'm done here in November, I'll be heading up to Nashville for Christmas break and I'll, I'll be there a lot. So if y'all yeah. go there, maybe you'll see me. <laughs> there are no muskie in that river anymore, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, we're going to transition to Idaho now. I would say the Teton. No. Um, I, I really like the Teton because it's it's close to our fly shop, close to my brother's house where I stay in the summer. Kind of small river, not very wide. Um, and it's, it's just a cool river because you can fish it with worms in May when the when the water's high and off color and then come august early august late july you can fish it with tiny little dry flies and catch catch fish too so it's it's cool to see that river transition when you say worms you're not talking about worm worms you're talking about uh, like wormies and stuff like that yeah right? not 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 a night crawler that <laughs> you buy at walmart that's uh yes yeah, squirmies and pink mop flies you know yeah the, the, the dirty flies yeah that's right <laughs> uh, but they they work they work don't let anyone tell you otherwise <laughs> exactly right they do don't they yeah oh yeah and then uh uh last one south fork of the snake river um that's that's my favorite one ever uh i don't think i'll ever have a favorite river over that one um, really? that's, that's where i guide the most that's where i fish for fun the most it's just a great river i mean we got rainbows cupos cutthroat two two species of cutthroat actually and then um browns and then whitefish and suckers and uh, occasionally when the water's high and they're pushing water out of the dam you'll get kokanee salmon and lake trout in the river no kidding so there's a lot of different fish in there and big ones yeah so how far is that from Victor? That is about 30 minutes up to section one 
and we just number our sections. Um, mm-hmm. And then the section four, I go there a lot. That's um, that's about 45 minutes to the put-in and about an hour drive back. So a little bit longer of a drive, but not bad. And those sections are anywhere from 12 to 18 miles long each. So lots of water to fish. Flowing pretty fast, though. Yeah, pretty fast. Yeah. I'd say average in the summer is 12,000 CFS. Yeah, so big. Yeah. How far is that from Jackson? From Jackson, that's going to be, depending on traffic, an hour to an hour and a half. Usually when I have people staying in Jackson, they'll meet me at the shop, and then I drive them from there in my car. Okay. This summer was a little different with COVID. We had a lot of people drive themselves. Yeah, right. Space out. Traffic in Jackson kind of sucks, doesn't it? It yeah, right after <laughs> July, right after July fourth, it uh, it gets pretty pretty packed in there. That'll extend your drive times, won't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I always go to I always go to Wendy's right after my trips over on the Snake in Jackson. Get a frosty and some fries for the drive back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a long way from the cardboard you're eating right now, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's time for us to wrap this trip up, Eric, or wrap this episode up, I guess I should say. I'm kind of on this mindset now of when am I getting out there. Wish I hadn't changed my plans a couple of years ago, but uh, oh, yeah. there's oh, still you'll, time. You'll, yeah, you'll get out here eventually. It'll be, I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. If you're looking for taking a trip out west and, and around the Jackson and Victor area, I suggest, you know, if you're looking for a really fishy guy, this guy right here, Eric, is a, a fishy guy. Just contact Whirlcast uh, and ask for Eric and get on his schedule. I appreciate you stopping and talking with me. Oh, yeah. Love, always love talking fishing. Thank you, everybody else, for stopping by and see you on the next episode. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man.